welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you have had a wonderful weekend. I also hope you enjoyed part one of our talk on Did the Israelites Destroy Jericho? Today, we begin a multi-week study on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is considered the beginning of Christ's formal teachings on earth, and in a sense, it is a type of outline for the entire three years of his ministry and beyond. Before we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, we will be spending today overviewing the principles in the sermon, as well as the theme and content. We will be using our Bibles more than normal. For this series, I will be using my Geneva Bible that was translated and published in 1599. There is also a 1560 version. You can find it online from Amazon for between $20 and $54 US or more depending on how fancy you want to get. My edition is the Patriot edition and it contains many of the founding documents of the United States. I also want to say I do not get paid for anything promoted on my podcast. I just like to share my interesting finds. So just understand I'm not receiving any kind of compensation from anyone for this. I just do this and to share it with you so you can get into the word more. Now, when we're going to dive in today, so please forgive my flipping because I don't, I normally have my, my verses written out, but there were so many I wanted to talk about today that I just tabbed them in my Bible. Now, our, uh, we're going to be talking about the theme of the Sermon on the Mount and the uh, content. So, what is the theme and what is the content of this sermon? And in order to get to that point, we have to kind of look and understand from where this is come, where the sermon is coming from. So we're gonna let me set up the sermon first, give you the setting, the context, and kind of put it into a biblical historical context, so that we kind of get a sense on on um, where we're heading. Now, if you are not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, and I know that you, my smart, articulate listeners are very are familiar at least with the presence of the story or the, the sermon um, we need to start with the fact that the Sermon on the Mount is predated by John the Baptist's teachings now John the Bra Baptist was a type and shadow of Christ his birth was foretold and was a type and shadow of Christ and his ministry was a type and shadow of Christ. Even the fact that he was martyred was a type and shadow of Christ. Though I do not consider Christ to have been a martyr, he was a perfect sacrifice for our sins, for our, our, our redemption. But um, John's birth is, is, is talked about in Luke chapter 1 verses 57 through 80. And his mother was Elizabeth. And in verse... 57, let me find it here, uh, she, Elizabeth's time was fulfilled that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son and her neighbors and cousins heard tell how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and rejoiced with her. And it was so that on the eighth day came to circumcise the babe and called him Zacharias after the name of his father. But his mother answered and she said, not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is named with this name. And thus they made signs to his father how he would have him called. So he asked for writing tablets, because remember, Zacharias had 
been rendered deaf because he did not believe that he was going, he and Elizabeth were going to be blessed with a child. And uh, so he asked for writing tablets and wrote saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue and he spake and praised God. So again, that is a type and shadow of Christ's foretelling and for and coming. So in, we're going to move on. We're going to move back to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, where in, the, in those days, John the Baptist came and preached in the wilderness of Judea and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he of whom it is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John actually preached about Christ before Christ was actually teaching. So while Christ was undergoing his temptation in the desert, in the wilderness, I should say, John is out here preaching that Christ is coming. The, 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 the Isaiah spoke of, the, uh, of Christ and Christ is coming. So um, now the theme of John's preaching was concerned the kingdom of heaven. Now in Matthew 4, we read the beginning of Jesus's ministry. So it's going to kick over to chapter 4 of Matthew, Matthew 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. And in that verse, um, it's written, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, amend your lives for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his preaching, that is Jesus's preaching in Galilee, actually uh, pertained to the gospel of the kingdom. And he says that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. So it says, when Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So... Jesus is, is now, at this point, he's been tempted, he's overcome his temptations, and he is now teaching, and he's preaching and teaching of the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to um, get into that. We're going to get ready to talk about the kingdom of heaven. So this is a phrase that is repeatedly re, uh, re, uh, used throughout uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and that repeated phrase reveals a theme. In Matthew 5, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 3, we see, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's your kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are they which suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, who Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall observe and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I say unto you, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, we read, Thy kingdom come, thy, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
We are also told in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be ministered unto you. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, we read, my tab here, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth my Father's will, which is in heaven. So again, you see this recurrent kingdom of heaven theme going throughout uh, the entire Sermon on the Mount. So this, this phrase repeatedly used, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. This, this repeated phrase tells us what the theme is. Jesus is literally teaching us about, again, Jesus is literally teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. So the, the overarching theme and phrase should tell us that the sermon is about the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Now, with this in mind, understanding this is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, let's consider the content. Uh, now, the basic content is broken down as such. The citizens of the kingdom. So, uh, the, their character and blessedness is pointed out in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed shall ye be when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you, for my sake falsely. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted that they the prophets, which, excuse me, were before you. So again, we, we see this over and over again. So this tells us the character of the citizens of king of the, the citizens of the kingdom. And he also Christ also talks about the citizens of the kingdom and their relation to the world. And he starts that in Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. He says, "Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, Wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men? Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth, giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light shine, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, I, I'm going to I'm going to talk about that phrase "good works," and we're going to come back to this because a lot of people have this false sense that you can buy your way into the kingdom of heaven, and that's not how it works. Uh, I believe in history we called it the buying and selling of indulgences. In other words, you could buy your way into heaven, 
and and people believe that by doing only good things you can get into heaven and you you don't get into heaven just on your works because there are tons of people who have done good things who have never accepted the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as their personal God and Savior and they unless they accept Christ as their personal Savior they will never get into heaven so I think we need to be very careful when we we throw around words like good works um, lest we we fall into the trap of thinking that's all that is required and that is not what is required uh, I think we've discussed in the past, not only do we have to work, but we have to believe in Christ and we have to follow the commandments. And if you believe in Christ, follow the commandments and the ordinances, and then you also perform your, your, your good works, which you would do anyway because you're following the kingdom and you're following the commandments, then you, that is your pathway, so to speak, into heaven. Excuse me, again, allergies are very bad here, and I have been working in my garden this week. We're also going to talk about the righteousness of the kingdom. Now, in contrast to traditional interpretations and applications of the law that are listed in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 48, um, Jesus says, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say unto you, till heaven and earth perish, one jot or tittle of the law shall not escape, till all things be fulfilled. Whoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But who shall, whosoever shall observe and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is telling us, that he is the fulfillment of the law. And when I'm talking about the law, I am specifically referring to the law as laid out in Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, uh, those, those first um, five books of the Bible, uh, because they comprise, especially Exodus forward, uh, it, they comprise the entirety of the the law so genesis leviticus exodus deuteronomy and numbers comprise the the law and that is the law that christ has come to fulfill it's not some arbitrary set of standards that have been established and corrupted by the the pharisees over time this is the law as had come down from the mount with moses so um there's also, uh, there are uh, righteousness of the kingdom with respect to man's relation to God. And I'm going to flip back and forth between Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 17, and Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 33, and Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Now, one of the things that I did not, I was actually on the older side when I realized this is actually told to me. And I, I when I read it, I, I sat down and said, oh my goodness, I never realized that. So if you read chapter uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 17, you're going to hear this. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought, you there, brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make thee no graven image, neither any solemnitude of things that are in heaven above, neither that are in the earth beneath, nor that are in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, neither serve them, for I am the Lord thy God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third generation, and upon the fourth of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands to them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six Days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath for the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maid, nor thy beast, nor any stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be prolonged upon the land, which is the which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maid, nor his ox, nor his donkey, I'm changing that word, neither anything that is thy neighbor's. So the Ten Commandments is what, what this is. And, and in, in, to be true to the translation, instead of donkey, it does say ass. But I, I did change it because uh, I'm, if I have any young listeners, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm actually cursing when I'm not. So now one of the things that was pointed out to me, and I said I learned this when I was a bit older, was that the first five commandments are... Man's obligations to God. And the second five commandments are man's obligations to man. And I thought that was very interesting. God put himself and his relationship with man and likewise our relationship to God first. And then our relationship, if we're following those five commandments where we have our relationship with God, then our relationship, it should make it easy for us to follow the second five commandments when it comes in relationship to our relationship with our fellow men and women. So, um, we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 33. And again, I'm not going to read all of these, but I, I will uh, have them. Uh, I'm saying them so you guys can, uh, y'all can follow along. Um, so... He says, uh, Jesus says, Take heed that ye give not your alms before men to be seen of them, or else ye shall have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou givest thine alms, thou shalt not make a trumpet to be blown before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, to be praised of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou do do doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. And that's about almsgiving, which we'll talk about a little bit later in our series. But again, that's relationship to God. Our alms are our ties. So we should not be waving our money about when he put it in the collection plate. It should be done quietly. And, it, and we're going to kick on over to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. 
And these are our dealings with our fellow men. Judge not that ye be judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye met, it shall be measured unto you again. And why seest thou the mote that is thy in that that is in thy brother's eye, and perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how sayest thou to thy brother, Suffer me to cast out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own eye. So, in other words, again, this is piggybacking off the, the hypocrite statement. So, we can't be running around pointing out faults in everyone else when we surely have enough of our own. I know I do, and my husband always likes to say, for every finger you point at somebody, you have three more fingers pointing back at you. And he's very right about that. And, and so that is a reminder for us to be humble and to always remember that we, that we are not perfect beings and that we need to be brothers to each other and sisters to one another instead of trying to lord a superiority over others that we legitimately do not have. Now, there's also an exhortation to enter the kingdom. The beginning of the way of the kingdom is in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, when it says, Enter in at the straight gate, for it is the wide gate, and broad way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go into thereat. But because the gate is straight, and the way narrow, that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And I'm always uh, reminded of a meme I saw once on Facebook that says, uh, the fact that there is a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell tells you all you need to know about the anticipated traffic. And I thought that was actually very funny, but also very telling and very true. The fact that it is hard to get into heaven straight and narrow versus broad, uh, a broad way in, into uh, iniquity and a straight way into glory, uh, again, is a, a telling remark that uh, by following the, the, the commandments and following uh, Christ and, and believing in the blood of his redemption is the only way that we can truly make it to heaven. The progress uh, along the way of, to enter the kingdom in Matthew 15 through 20, so beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And I think that's, that's pretty, pretty telling. Um, of that. And, and people say, you know, you'll know people by the way they act. And, you know, it's not so much what they say, but how they act. And I like to say deeds, not words. So deeds, not words. Um, the end of the way to the kingdom of heaven is in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth thy father's will, which is in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not by thy name prophesied and by thy name cast out devils and by thy name done many great works? And I will then, I then will, I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Whoever then heareth of me these words and doeth the same, I will liken him to a wise man which had built builded his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was grounded on rock. But whosoever heareth these my words and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which hath builded his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And the fall thereof was great. So again, we need to build ourselves up on the rock of Christ. And we know by doing that, we will never fall, never fail. So again, like I said, we contrast our sayers with doers. So your deeds, not your words. And again, this is playing into that doing the right thing, doing, following the, the, the commandments and and that that sort of thing so your deeds are what make people believe you are what you say you are if i am to go out every day and say that oh you should give your money to the church or you should give your money you should donate your old clothes to the 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 thrift store or to the salvation army or to a a, a, a homeless shelter and yet i'm not willing to do that then i am no better I'm, I'm being a hypocrite, but if I go and I take my old clothes and I donate them to a homeless shelter or to a thrift shop that supports a shelter or that can get uh, that sells clothes cheaply so that uh, people can buy them for interviews or to, to help when they're they're less they're disadvantaged, then I'm doing my part. I am I am I am living the word. There are also contrasting the hearers with the doers. I can sit here and listen to stuff all day and take it all in. But unless I act on that, what I'm hearing, I'm no good. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I have my own company. And when one of my employees comes to me and says, hey, Kim, we need to do ABC or XYZ, I'm listening to it. But unless I act on what I'm, what I'm being told needs to happen, and those instructions can only come from me, then I'm not doing the right thing. So my obligation is to not only hear what's being said, but to do what needs to be done. And this applies to our walk. So not only do we need to hear the words of Christ, but we need to follow through and act on those words because that action goes back into being a doer instead of just a listener and a sayer, but not a doer. So we can appreciate why some people call the ser this uh, Sermon on the Mount the Magna Carta of his kingdom, or by others, the Manifesto of the King. Now, before we examine this sermon any closer, we need to define what exactly the kingdom of heaven is. So I'm going to compare it um, with the kingdom of God. So some people try to say the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are two different things. And I actually, I don't believe that. I, I am one of those people who say, um, who actually looked at the gospels and said, hey, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they're literally exactly the same thing. Um, so Matthew uses the expression kingdom of heaven 
almost exclusively, with just a couple of minor exceptions, while the other gospel writers use the phrase kingdom of God. So who's right? Is it the other guys or is it Matthew? Well, they're both right because Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. He chose the phrase kingdom of heaven out of respect uh, of the Jews' reluctance to use the name of God out of reverence. It wasn't that they didn't believe in God. They actually did very strongly believe in God. But, excuse me, but they they had a, a sort of a thing where they didn't like to write the name of God. And many times, even today, you'll see Jews, when they write, when they want to say the word God, they write G blank, uh, G blank D, where they leave the O out. So they're not writing the entire name of God. They consider his name to be too uh, perfect to be written or spoken uh, by by man. So uh, Matthew may have also chose to use the phrase kingdom of heaven because of the Jews' misconception of the coming kingdom. So many anticipated a physical kingdom. Some, if you want to think about the, the kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, who recently lost Prince Philip, or you want to talk about the, the kingdom of, you know, uh, Thailand or any other place, or the kingdom of Denmark or Norway or any of those places that have physical kingdoms. This is not the kind of kingdom that Matthew was talking about. But the Jews had this misconception that there was going to be a physical kingdom like what they had been accustomed to. The expression heaven, literally the heavens, would emphasize a spiritual kingdom. So when saying the kingdom of heaven, that would clarify Matthew was talking about a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom here on earth. So this defining the kingdom of heaven revolves four interrelated concepts. Number one is God's kingship rule or recognized sovereignty. Now the term kingdom, the term kingdom as used by the Jews often stressed the abstract idea of rule or dominion, not some geographical area separated by physical boundaries. So uh, Jesus used it this way in the book of Luke in chapter 17 verse 21. And let me get over there. So sorry, 17, uh, 21, uh, and he says, Neither shall men say, Lo, here, or lo, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is with you, within you. So that's telling you right there, the kingdom of God is not some physical place. It's actually a spiritual place. Um, it is used this way by Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. When he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, even in earth as it is in heaven. So that Jesus actually is, is pointing out that the kingdom of heaven is not a physical place. Um, so the kingdom of heaven is wherever God of heaven is allowed to rule in the hearts of men. So when we allow God to rule in our hearts, we are the kingdom of heaven. It is a spiritual in nature. Nature. It's not a physical kingdom, as in uh, John 18, John 18, verse 36 says, 
Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would surely fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is but now is my kingdom not from hence. So Jesus point blank says, Hey, this is this is uh my kingdom is, is not on earth. It is a spiritual heaven. In Romans 14, verse 17, we hear that for the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So again, not physical, spiritual. Its visible manifestation today is in the form of the Lord's church. This is the community of souls in whose hearts God is recognized as sovereign. The church constitutes the kingdom on earth, considering the church the term church and kingdom were used interchangeably in Matthew 16 verse 18. Matthew 16 verse 18. We hear, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. And a description of those in the churches of Asia in Revelations. Um, and Revelations is a whole book that I think at some point we need to dive deep into. Um, in Revelation, in chapter 1, verses 4, 6, and 9, verse 4 is, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be with you and peace from him, which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Verse 6 is, And made us kings and priests unto God, even his Father to him, I say, Be glory and dominion forevermore. Amen. And, chapter, and verse 9 is, I, John, even your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle called Patmos for the word of God and for the witnessing of Jesus Christ. It also involves the concept of the new heaven and the new earth. The kingdom of heaven has a future element as well as a present one. Now remember, we are all waiting for that glorious day when we're going to be transfigured and brought into the kingdom and the day of tribulation. So Jesus speaks of it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, when he says, Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, take the inheritance of the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 15, 50. This I say, this say I, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So again, he's talking about the future of the church. And Peter, in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, says... Wherefore, brethren, give rather diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fail. For by this means an entering shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter described the coming of its future state in 2 Peter 3, chapters, uh, 2 Peter 3, chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, when he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which, in which, in the, which the heavens shall pass away with a noise, and the elements shall melt with heat, and the earth with the works that are therein shall be burnt up. 
Seeing therefore that all these things must be dissolved, what manner of persons, what manner of persons ought ye to be in the holy conversations and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of that day of God, by the which the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with heat. But we look for new heavens and a new earth, according to his promise, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, a summary of the kingdom of heaven would be, in the present sense, it is found wherever the sovereignty of God is accepted in the hearts of men. It is a spiritual kingdom, for God rules in the hearts of men. Its outward manifestation is the Lord's church. The kingdom was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which I will not read. In the future sense, excuse me, the kingdom will be culminated with the coming of the Lord, and it will include that new heaven and new earth described by Peter and John, and it will be experienced only by those in the church who are submitting to God's will. And that is comes forward for us in Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and 2 Peter, verses 13 through 15. And I've already been through those. Now, with this understanding of the kingdom of heaven, we will be more likely to appreciate the character and blessedness of the citizens of the kingdom, understand the need for righteousness expected of its citizens, respond to the exhortation to enter the kingdom if we have not done so. Now, uh, next week, we'll, uh, next Monday, we'll be concentrating on the Beatitudes. So uh, we will be talking about that blessedness. Well, I think that about, this is one of my longest ones. So I think that about concludes our time together today. I hope you enjoyed this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Join us Thursday when we will conclude our talk on Bryant Woods' article on If the Israelites Destroyed Jer Jericho. As always, I enjoy hearing from you. I can be reached at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at, at podcast underscore past, and finally on Facebook at Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. I also encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount, which is in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. Until Thursday, I encourage you to stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. God bless. <laughs>